Okay. So sometimes I've been asked my goal why I teach college kids. And I'll tell you that just right off the reason why I teach youth is that I've seen a lot of people, you know, have a Christian walk. But at some point the enemy does something to them. They get in spiritual warfare and they just get taken out. So my goal is I think I can give you enough good, solid scriptures and teaching from the Word. I can help you where you don't get taken out. And so especially tonight would be that concept. So that way you know just straight off what I'm aiming for in your life is that you don't have a great start and everybody loves you and thinks, oh, this is a great one, but they collapse. And just something terrible comes up and it's not your fault in the sense that you did something wrong. It's just the enemy did something to you. So tonight will be a pivotal lesson in your life. I really like it when you take notes or have a Bible or something where you can look at these scriptures because a lot of times I'm showing you stuff that maybe you haven't seen in your Bible. But this started out with Erica asking me this week, how do you armor up? What does that mean? Like you're telling us in the morning time and your prayer time, you need to armor up. Well, this is answering her question. I didn't think she wanted me to take 40 minutes and explain it to her. So <laughs> we're going to explain what it means to put on the armor of God. Well, I guess you all know where that comes from in your Bible. Do you know the scriptures? You know where the armor? Like if we told you every morning you need to put your armor on. We're going to be looking at a passage in Ephesians 6. And it gives you pieces of armor like you were a military guy wearing pieces of a combat uniform. And so, no, we'll just do it. And so the first thing that I would say that happens to you is that you're acknowledging that God is with you. Before you ever leave your house in the morning, you're just thinking about what does God give me in my life to make it where I'm protected. What do I have? What is it that God has promised me that I can actually put on? Now you know how I feel about it. I don't want you running out the door without doing this. Don't make me come sweep you up somewhere. So you take time in the morning, if that means setting that little clock 10 minutes earlier, that you put your armor on and Psalm 91 and the Lord's Prayer, whatever the Lord gives you, but the armor is one of those things that I highly recommend that you walk out of the house that you have buckled up tight around you. So acknowledging that God has promises for you, that he's equipped you, and these are the things that I use to handle the conflict that comes in my life. It's also things that I use to take ground. So if you feel like you're having a lot of conflict, a lot of problems around you, and you're not making much ground, like every day you live, you take one step forward and two steps back, where you feel like you're losing territory, then this is what you're needing to do right here. And it's not just a matter of saying some words in the morning, it's living it throughout the day. But don't tell me you're going to live it throughout the day if you're not putting it on first thing in the morning. It'd be like a soldier who thinks that during the day he's utilizing his uniform, but he didn't put all the parts on. First, I'm going to tell you, I want to talk about how the verse reads without using the military part of it. Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in the gear, and you're just so excited about how you look that you forget what it actually means scripturally. Now, I'm not going to point out moss, but I just realized my hair. The other day, I looked at moss, and she was out doing some work in the yard, and I realized that she just realized how good she looked. I mean, she had the gloves, she had the glasses, she had it all going on, and there was an attitude with the way that she was working. And I was like, wow, the gear. I told Steph, the gear does a lot. And she goes, Angie, you need to concentrate on giving people the gear. 
I was appalled. That, I mean, moss, nothing had changed, but the gear made a different moss out there in my front yard. I mean, not only was I noticing it, but people were stopping me and stopped and asked her about whether she had worked for them. Yeah, we had some interesting things. People noticed the gear. So that's the point that I'm making right now is that sometimes I can't get too excited about my gear that I forget what I'm actually putting on. So sometimes I put on my armor without using the military. There, you, when you get my other earring, it pops out occasionally. I feel like a pirate with one. Okay. Okay. So the first thing that you're putting on is salvation. On your head, you're putting salvation. So you think about your head if it's covered in salvation. The next thing you think about is your chest. You can tell when a guy likes a girl, he puffs out his chest. It's not much, but you'll see air go in the chest and it swells up a little bit. I mean, it's these subtle little clues that I'm like, oh, Wow, he's interested because he just puts a little, it's not muscle, but the air just gives him a little more ump. You know, now the guy Parks brought, he doesn't need any of that. I was like, my gosh, that guy's all chest. So anyway, but anyway, righteousness. We got to think righteously right now. Okay, righteousness is that area. The next is you move one step down from the head to the chest to the next area down and you put truth there. Truth. <laughs> and then from uh, truth, you put down to the next, at the lowest level, you put peace. Some people may look at you and say, that's the last thing you bring into my house when you come. You bring chaos. <laughs> Every time you walk in my house, you bring, you bring chaos. No, that's the shoes of peace. Now, peace can be a little more fun than you think. So we'll go into that in a minute. And then there's another thing that you carry in your arms. Guys, it's not your purse. It's faith. Faith. The reason I said that was I was with this powerful, strong, if I told you his name, everybody in the country knows him. He has facial recognition. And I, I wasn't tempted to have my picture made with him, but I did admire his pink purse. And I thought he's been had by a woman because he's carrying her leather pink purse. And he acts like it, it goes with his outfit. And I, I was tempted to take his picture with the pink purse. So anyway, these are things in your hands. Faith. And then the Word of God. And then it talks a little bit about something that most people don't, talk about in the armor so if i was naming what i wanted you to put on that's unusual what paul does here of what he says actually wraps you up these are gear now we're going to switch and i'm not going to be so uh, theoretical i'm not going to just tell you the names of these things i want to actually talk about the military part the reason i think that paul talked militarily to us and that he names armor pieces is because most part christians are looking for a demilitarized zone mm -hmm. like i get tickled at christians like if they came in here and it was their first night to visit bible study and we were yelling at each other we were having telling each other off and and just having a fight let's just go ahead and throw a few punches they go oh i'm not going in there my gosh that's not christian I mean, and I go, wimps, <laughs> you're no fun. I mean, just because we're having a church split doesn't mean you have to leave. I mean, it's just going to, it's about to get good. Well, nobody thinks that way. Suddenly you're not nice. You're not Christian. But Paul doesn't look at it that way. He's telling you that you're in a war zone. There's conflict. I hate to admit it, but sometimes your family may be conflict. Your roommate, <laughs> the people you're around, 
this armor isn't just to look good. This armor is to fight good. <laughs> this is so that you have some strength to you. That you can do something with it. So, as a Christian, you're going to get a different message from me. Hi, we're glad you're here. Okay, so we're talking about Christians usually don't like facing conflict. Like if you feel that, you just go <gasps> uptight, move out of the way. Being in Israel will break you of that habit. Every day in Israel, like I can stay there a month, and every day in Israel, some Israeli is having a fight with some other Israeli. And it's so tempting for me. I don't run away. I run straight into it. And I want to take pictures. I mean, there's so much fun watching them tell each other off. I mean, if it's a bus and a taxi cab driver, they roll down their windows and they tell each other off. And you know when they're cussing because they use English cuss words. And then after they're through fighting with each other, then they'll ask the other one, hey, by the way, how do I get over to, and they'll ask instructions. I mean, they're fun people. They're not scared of conflict. And this is the context of this scripture passage is for you not to be afraid of facing conflict. When you're young, God will take you away from conflict as a believer. He'll take you the long way to get you away from war. But when he can trust you, he'll lead you into it. Jesus was led into conflict when he had the strength of the Holy Spirit on him. And you can also tell who's really your leader because when conflict breaks out, most people run. One of my girls that I had here last week, she heard us start up a little trouble somewhere in the United States, and we won't mention where, but she was like, I smell you getting in trouble. And so when some guy came to the door, he was a little bit kind of crazy, she ran and hid in the bathroom. And I go, what a fine friend you are. I find you in the woods, and you go run away from me. Like, you think I'm getting in trouble, and there you go bury yourself. I kidded her so much she didn't even come today. Okay, so facing conflict. You can tell friendships, because if your friend gets in a fight, you either back away and say, oh, I don't want any part of this, or you're there for them. Conflict. Willingness to fight. And there's a battlefield combat that you will have to do at times. Like the enemy has turf, and he does not plan on letting it go. And you have things come into your neighborhood or moving next door that you get yourself in some conflict. If you go on the mission field, you're planning on taking some territory for the Lord. This is all battlefield. So, if you feel afraid, or if you think, well, what protection do I have? Like, I don't know if you're feeling what I am, but I spend an hour in the news. And I'm like, it's a crazy world out there. Like, and it doesn't seem to be getting any saner. And I used to enjoy the fact that I went to a lot of crazy places in this world. <laughs> a lot of crazy places. But I enjoyed coming home to Texas where the air is free <laughs> and it's peaceful and I understand how Texan people think. But it's not feeling like that anymore here in our good old USA. It's feeling crazy. It's like everybody maybe we've been locked up too long, but I mean it's crazy out there. And so when you feel that thing of afraid or defense, I want you to realize right now that you have a shield about you. Something that's around you. You've got something that doesn't let something penetrate you. It's hard to penetrate. It's cold. It's steel. That's armor. And if you're not utilizing your armor, it may explain some of your wounds. And if you want mommy to kiss them, that's one thing. But it's going to look funny on you, college aging up. Kiss this. So, 
if you're feeling that need of, well, it's getting crazy, then I'm going to ask you, do things to thicken your armor. Make sure you have it on. So, why are you in the battle? Well, because you're on the earth. And let me just give you the facts. Even if you're not living for God, you're still going to be in battle. Or you may be saying, oh, I'm not going to get in battle. I'm not there yet. But the way the world's looking, it's getting everybody pretty quick. I mean, I think Facebook just puts it more in your face of how much battle everybody's life's in. I don't see any more of those smiling, happy family pictures without somebody saying, I need 50 people helping me pray so this person doesn't die in my life. I mean, it's crazy right now. So, what the Bible describes here is what to do about the craziness, the darkness. Now, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, this is our passage here. And it tells you, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what you're seeing around you, is people have just gone so crazy in their head, they're just letting the devil wreck their lives. But it tells you, for we wrestle. So that's what you're feeling, that experience. You're wrestling. You're feeling yourself struggle against something, wrestle. Have you ever had that feeling of wrestle, where you're wrestling somebody and every muscle in your body's tense? We won't talk about Steph and her son arm wrestling. You know, there's some disputed territories of who's who and, yeah, at least we don't. <laughs> but you feel yourself wrestling. You know, boys will wrestle. Like, that's part of it. But you're wrestling as a Christian. And it says, not that you're wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not like you're wrestling against something that's, that has a body. It's the word sarka, you know, the sarks. It's not soma. It's more what I would call the flesh word for body here. But it's against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness that live in heavenly places. Well, that sounds like a lot. If you don't have enough problems with what you can see with people, there's invisible like forces of evil, like entities this is a whole study in itself that we're not going into, but it seems like a hierarchy of how he names it out. Of rulers and powers, world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness that sit up in high places where they don't belong. That's what you're up against. So he tells you this is what you should do. This is how, Erica, you armor up. <laughs> Verse 11. The first thing it tells you to do is put on the full armor of God. Some of you have some vulnerable areas. And if you're getting attacked in a vulnerable area, you need to make sure you've got on every piece of your armor. Because something's slipping through. I would tell you Goliath did not have his full armor on. <laughs> or they didn't design the helmet well. <laughs> because the armor can save you a lot of problems. And the enemy's looking for that area not covered. That's called your vulnerable spot. That's what he's looking for. He wants to shank you. He wants to do something to you to make you feel the pain, take you out. You know, if you're shot in the head, you're not experiencing your salvation, a head shot. If you get a heart shot, you left off your righteousness. If you're shot weird, think about this, if you're a liar. <laughs> yeah, these pieces of armor cover particular parts of your life. So, if we had the guys in the armor suit, I'd be asking you right now, can you name them? I like to sketch, so I drew me an armor guy. In your journal, you can draw your armor guy. And you label those different pieces. 
But I want you to notice something. It doesn't leave it alone with verse 11 and say full armor. But 13, circle the word too, and I just draw a line between the two. 13, put on your full armor. Do you see, Paul says that twice. Full armor, full armor. Don't run out with all your pieces. Like, don't just grab for one piece and run out there in the battle. But he repeats it twice. Can you name to me, as you're naming your pieces of armor, which pieces are my defensive weapons? Like in football, you understand the concept of sometimes you're put on defense, sometimes offense, sometimes you do special teams, you're the assassin of the military. (laughs) You have special things that you do. So the armor shows that. It shows the pieces that some will protect you and some you use to advance forward with it. I want you to think as a Christian that you are made to advance forward. You are not just living your life to be shot at. Like here I am every day and I just get shot at. And somehow as Christians, we think just being shot at is the Christian life. You get saved and you get shot at every single day till the day you die. And that's how we look at Christianity. Wow, we made it. I was shot at every day. And if I give my testimony, what do I give my testimony? It's like a little boy. Have you ever seen them? They point at all their boo-boos. You know, when you're dating a guy, he'll tell you, right here, this scar, I got it from... I mean, every guy I dated would tell me what his scars were. And that's how we are in our testimonies as Christians. This bullet hole, this bullet hole, this one, this one, this one. And they're telling you that's their testimony because you know what? If someone does it, they're only playing defense and not doing very good. (laughs) Their armor wasn't. If your testimony only consists of every time you got a hole put in you, you are not a very good soldier. Like, you've got a lot of purple hearts. Yeah, I wondered why my sister-in-law's grandfather never talked about his purple heart. He just never wanted to bring it up, didn't want to pass it down. I didn't realize he got shot in the rear end. (laughs) But that's what people do is, here's my purple hearts. All my defensive weapons. Uh Uh-uh. You're not thinking right. You're thinking your gear is only to protect yourself. This gear is made for offense, for taking ground. When I hear a testimony, I want to hear what you did, that you took territory that's never been taken before. You know, I told the story of where we had a witch come to our house, and, you know, the witch wanted to kill us. I can't imagine, you know, she screaming. And I had three of my great, big, strong, spiritually strong, physically strong guys with me. But what they did with her is they were so happy to use all their gear to just run the witch off of our property. They were not expecting for me to be mad at them for it. So I start, I slam my fist down, I go, I'm telling you, you were supposed to get that mess off of her. Like, and so it took me 20 minutes of praying to get her back. Because I could feel like she's going to go commit suicide or something. Like, you guys, you just use your armor to protect you. It's a very defensive game. And so I start commanding, she's a gift. You gave her to us, Lord. She's ours. You know, we had been working on her for salvation. And I started commanding. It took 30 minutes, and here she comes again. She still had on her mind killing me. I mean, she had a knife, wanted to grab me by the neck. I mean, there was a little bit of a battle to go down. But what happened was, by the time the night was over, she was set free, and I was okay. And I realized that's the church. They're real happy when the ugly, evil force leaves. Like, that's a great victory, and they tell it, and I used my authority, and off flew the wicked witch on a broom. 
My mother-in-law just fell off a cliff. Oh, that's older stuff. Okay, but you, you just told, you know, I got rid of my enemy. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I don't want you thinking that way. That is not what this is talking about. It's talking about playing offense. When you're through, it's like, you've got to understand this. I had a soldier that fought in Iraq twice tell me when two opposing soldiers meet each other, both soldiers are trying to oppose they're trying to impose their will upon the other soldier. Like, it's two wills fighting. And whosoever will wins is who's left standing. So that person's trying to impose their will on me. And this doesn't sound Christian, but I've got to impose the will of God on them. And that's what happened with the witch. Her will was she wanted to kill me. But they're trying to impose their will on you. Right now, we have a lot of that going on in wickedness. People are trying to impose their will on me. And so what you're doing is you're taking the will of God forward. And boy, it sure does make people upset. Okay, the first word for you to think about on putting on your armor is the full armor. All of it. Entirety. That means memorize it. It's not hard. You can have this memorized by tomorrow morning. Then verse 11, which is the original one, the reason I skipped down to 13 was to show you that the full armor is in there twice, but we're on 11. It says that the devil has schemes, strategies. Like he's not just randomly hitting you. He literally has been thinking about what he can do to make you fall. Like how can I wreck this guy's life where he'll never be worth anything? Like there's people, they want to live for the Lord, but they feel like I've done something I can never, I can never be a Christian. And I, that anybody would want to look at here. Like you have some shame area in your life. You know, I always think about youth pastors. Most of them have done the worst stuff, like the most rebellious kids on campus because they look at their kids and go, there's not anything you've done I haven't done. That's not the best testimony, but I'm just saying sometimes the devil tries to shame you. He tries to tell you, you can't live a wild, sold-out, extreme, bold life for the Lord. Look at what you've done. Like you've done this piece of stupid you know, that's, you won't ever forget it, let alone anyone in your family. And so that's a strategy to get you to do something stupid. Something where you lose confidence and, you know, like Peter was like, oh my gosh, I even broke all my, I failed myself. You know, he was like, Jesus, I'll fight my way out of here for you. But he's trying to break you mentally. It's a mental game with you. The devil's playing it with you. Don't take those condemning thoughts as coming from yourself. Don't tell yourself everybody's judging you. I don't want to hear everybody's judging you. Walk in with your head up. You have righteousness in your armor. Anybody that thinks it's their own righteousness is deceived. It's not your own righteousness that stands between you and the devil. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. None of us are righteous enough to stand in our own righteousness. It's only one thing you have to do on that. So he has strategies, sneaky little evil traps he lays for your life. You're vulnerable your vulnerabilities. You think about it and it's your repeated attacks. Like the thing that hits you all the time and wears you down. Like I can't stand, this always happens to me. Fill in the blank what that is. You need to pinpoint what, every time you'd be mad and just go, this always happens to me. Like I can't count how many times this happens to me. This always happens in my family. I'm just telling you, no matter how much we get ahead, something's gonna happen and make us poverty. Whatever that thought is, that is wearing you down. I call it getting a gut shot. Your emotions. You know, sometimes other people's free will decisions is kind of like what they call that witchcraft or control. If you've ever had a real controlling person in your life, oh, it's 
it's gut shots to you. The words of someone you love can hit you a gut punch. It's one of the hardest. I'm going to tell you, if you're getting gut punches, we might need to talk privately of what you can do to armor up on them. But the best thing that you can do on this is not have them shock you, not let them surprise you. Like, oh, I was just, you know, King David, when he was a boy, and he was just going to fight the war, and his brother tells him off, saying, you wicked, you know, brother of mine, you know, all this stuff. And he got a gut punch. I want you to expect gut punches. Like, before I do a mission trip, if I don't get a good, what I call, Elab slap, a gut punch, I'm like, oh, this, this trip must not matter to the devil. <laughs> because he always, that's part of his schemes and strategies with me, is give me a gut punch. And he gets you every time with this, fill in the blank. Because that's what I want you to solve with this lesson. Every single time the devil gets me with this. Okay, the next thing that you see in verse 12 is, it's the unseen realm. You've got to get good at this. Your battle is not against what all you can see. That's what most people think they're fighting. Like, I'm fighting City Hall. I'm fighting corruption. I'm fighting all this bad stuff people are doing around me. That's one part of the battle. But the real battle is what you can't see. I mean, you got double trouble. It's more than just the eye, what they can see. Having dealt with different cultures, like when I'm in other lands, like a lot of times you'll get into where a culture will curse you. And unless you're putting some kind of armor on, that curse is open to take you out. Like I worked in a prison ministry, and these guys would do all kinds of stuff. They'd drink all kinds of body fluids and all kinds of stuff to curse me. And they cursed one of the staff members that he had died that day, and, and he also cursed me and my dad. And the staff member got hit by a car. The guy told me later, he goes, you're one of those funny kind of Christians where it doesn't work on you. But he didn't know I understood how to armor up. Later, I led that kid to the Lord about a year or two later, and he fell in my arms, boohooing, crying. And, you know, of course, the guy realized what he had done with the curse. I'd forgotten because so many of them would curse me I just kind of forgot mm -hmm. but what I'm talking about in realms of curses and stuff it's in the unseen realm and so people that are ignorant of this have bad things happen to them and they don't know why don't think people are going to love you for what you're doing now people that have their head screwed on straight like my dad said or have a lot of truth in them will love you but there's an element of people out there that they do this weird stuff there's a business here, I'll tell you when I'm not having it recorded, but they found that the manager there had a little voodoo doll, and every time they got mad at a customer, she'd go in the back and say some heck stuff and stick the voodoo doll. It was a shop where I, <laughs> I bought clothes. I was like, oh my. But these are unseen realms. You know, you can pay for these curses. It, it, there's a lot of this going on. Don't be ignorant of it. So that's what you're warring up against, uh, demonic strongholds. Different levels of authority. It's like private to generals. Have you ever gone to a certain place and felt an oppression over it? There's one state we all talk about. We go, when you go in that state, you just feel poverty on this state. I don't know if you've like driven across the, the Texas line. You go to New Mexico and you feel new age. You go to old Mexico and you just feel hot. <laughs> but you can feel oppression over certain places. That's the spiritual warfare that Daniel talks about that's going up on in the heavenlies. And the conflict is not flesh and blood. Like, if you feel like you're a born fighter, you're fighting in the wrong realm if you're only fighting in the physical realm. Not where the real problem comes from. And that's why it'll come back to see you. 
And this helps you when you have to forgive somebody. You know, if, if somebody did you wrong, more than likely it was done to them. And that sometimes helps you in, in uh, forgiving someone to realize there's demonic spirits that have really made a mess out of people's lives. You know, when we pray for people for these spiritual things to let go of their life, I mean, I, there's hardly a person I don't feel compassion for because when I hear their story, I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I can understand why this got a hold of them. So I'm letting you know that this is even more intense than if I was just here and you were deploying. And I was trying to get you ready for a physical war, like where I'd put some Psalm 91 stuff on you and just say, okay, prepare. This is a war that goes into the realm of the unseen. Okay, so verse 17 says, take up the helmet of salvation. Now, really, what does that mean? If I told you, you're saved, now put it on your head. What does salvation mean to most of us? What does it mean? Salvation means, is it... Going to heaven, not going below. It's fire insurance. Eternity with God, salvation. But I want you to look up this word. The word in the Greek is soteria. Y'all, this is what the word salvation means. Every time in the Bible you see one of these other words, it's the word soteria. If you're just saying salvation, it's soteria. If you're saying save, save or saved, it's sozo. And it's a lot of fun to look into S-O-T-E-R-E-R-I-A, Soteria. So look at what this all means. I don't know why no one teaches this. It doesn't even have the definition we're most accustomed to in it. We think somewhere in the definition in the Greek, it'll say, ticket to heaven. I'm not going to go to hell. And yeah, rescue, safety, deliverance, health, salvation, save, saving, preservation from harm. Every time it says Jesus healed somebody, every time it says he cast the demon out and they were delivered, it's this word, soteria, every time in the Greek. It's the richest word. So when you're putting on your salvation, look, this could be a whole thing in and of itself. I'm putting on the fact that God, you'll rescue me. I'm putting on the, on the fact, God, sometimes in life I'm just looking for a safe place. No, no one feels safe to me. I don't trust anyone. Have you ever felt that? Like, everybody's let me down. I don't trust them. They're not You're putting on safety. You're putting on deliverance. That thing that's keeping you from, that you feel captive to, that you just know isn't right. Maybe you're a rageaholic or just whatever it is. Lord, I think that you are made deliverance. You have a headgear of deliverance. It means healing. It means health. Every time Jesus healed someone, it was soteria. Salvation. Preserved from harm. I can't harm, and I can't be harmed, and I can't cause harm. You take on the helmet of salvation. That's more than just put your eternity on your head. That's why in Psalm 91, when it says, I'll behold your deliverance. If you think the Greek sounds good, look it up in the Hebrew. It's even richer. I mean, the Jews have in there all types of aspects of salvation. Salvation to the Hebrews, I mean, they even add in that God will bless you. <laughs> I mean, it's a strong, strong word, salvation. So, thank the Lord it is an eternal relationship with Him. But I just want you to know 
looking it up in the original language is so rich on these words. My goodness, you're missing out if no one's ever told you to look up that word in both the Greek and the Hebrew, which is the original language of the Bible. Okay, then it says, next, your head, salvation, the next is the breastplate of righteousness. And this is what we were talking about. It's not you trying to be good that day. It's you saying, I'm good because Christ is good. Your goodness, your righteousness stands between me and the evil one. Remember, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him righteousness. Alright, I'll give you the formula for it. Romans 10, 9, and 10. That's how you get saved, remember? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. You believe in your heart and you say it with your mouth. If you want to know how to ask Jesus in your heart, that's what you do. You put your hand on your heart and say, I believe Jesus is Lord. And then you speak it out of your mouth and mean it, and you're saved. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him righteousness. But notice what it says. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. It's your heart. Isn't that interesting? So the chest piece, the breast piece, is over your heart. Because a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With his mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Righteousness is what you do with your heart. That's totally different than how a Gentile looks at it. That your righteousness is something that takes place. That's why everybody has a big problem with King David. Oh my gosh, he did a lot more evil than Saul did. You know, like he had an adulterous affair, and then on top of it, he knocked the guy off, and he had this kid that, I mean, just, but, oh. God loved David. He was a man after his own heart. That's because it's righteousness. David believed God with his heart. David knew how to repent. David knew how to get his heart right with God. It's a heart thing, y'all. That's why you can't cheat in this world. You can't get a list and be a good Christian and hope your good outweighs your bad. It's not that kind of righteousness of scales. It's what you do with your heart with your relationship with God. Doesn't that make sense? If God is love, what does He want from you? Heart love. He just wants you to love Him with all your heart. That makes you righteous. You can do that. You can love God with your whole heart. We're making Christianity too hard. Remember I told you, it's not that I've done so much, haven't done bad stuff. It's the matter I got so busy doing good stuff, offensive stuff, I didn't have time to get myself in a lot of trouble. So people think, well, I couldn't be as good as you. It's, it's not weighing out what you did. It's, it's you getting busy with your heart with the Lord and seeing what he has for your life. God's not boring. He's a lot of fun. If you're a youth pastor, you need to remember that. The kids are tired of dry religious garbage. They are. And I'm telling you, the word of God is on fire. Okay, so the next you cover your loins. This where, I guess, guys, you put on your boxer shorts. It's, it's your loins are covered with truth. So if you're a liar, <laughs> and you don't have much truth, you lie quite a bit, then you leave yourself very vulnerable. I get so tickled at y'all. When you get saved, two things start happening to you. When you really get sold out to the Lord, you come to me and you tell me, I've changed my music. It's almost the, the first thing God's been dealing with me about my music. The second thing that you'll come to me and go, 
I quit lying. <laughs> or some of you go, I'm convicted when I'm lying. What do I do? I go, every time you lie, just go tell them you lied, and it'll help you break it in a day's time. But the, when the first thing God starts dealing with you is in the area of truth, that you love truth. Like if I was going to divide a church up, I'd say, okay, everybody who loves truth, sit on this side. Oh, I'm sorry to do that to you. Everyone who doesn't love truth, <laughs> sit way over here. <laughs> because you can work with people that love truth. And it keeps your private areas safe if you love truth. Your waist covered with truth. <laughs> I was in India and the Lord uh, spoke to me. And all the India men looked the same. They were all wearing this white garb and there were rows of them. And the Lord just spoke the sentence to me. How can you preach the truth if you first can't tell the truth? So out of all the men, I go up to one guy and they all just they all look the same to me. To me. And so there were just rows of these guys, and I go up to this guy that the Lord tells me telling that, and I don't even know if he speaks English or Malayalam. So I go up to him and I said, How can you preach the truth if you can't first learn to tell the truth? We get out of there, Brother Jacob, he's Indian. He's, you know, older than me. I'm scared of him. He's one of those kind of prophetic souls. And he said, how'd you do that? I said, do what? And he goes, you picked the guy out of the crowd that had embezzled $10,000 from me. He goes, you have good discernment. He said, I was watching you. (laughs) I wonder why that guy looked ash white. I guess he thought he was told on. But the Lord told me to tell I didn't know he was the preacher. That's why I tried doing it again 15 years later. It didn't work so well. Okay. When they get older, they're not so willing to. <laughs> okay. So how can you preach the truth if you can't first tell the truth? Y'all learn it young. But let me tell you, there's an area of not telling yourself the truth that's worse than what I'm talking about. It's when you're deceived. It's when you believe the lie about yourself. It's that thing that fears tell you. It's the insecurity. It's the unworthiness. It's the feeling I'm unloved. you got lies going on in your head. And you're not loving truth if that's what goes through your head. All those thoughts. I'm inadequate. Every one of those thoughts are lies. And it goes around in your heart. Goes around through your head. It makes you act crazy. We always said, you know, it's funny people that have a spirit of rejection on them. They'll do the very thing to get themselves rejected. You're acting out those lies inside of you. You've got to get your insides speaking the truth. The first person you got to tell the truth to is yourself. you got to look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself the truth. I was talking to this guy today, and, uh, but he told me he's returned to this concept of reading the I Am Scriptures. And he's worked up something that you can put on your phone, and you study the I Am's. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the beloved of God. I am, and you go down your I Am Scriptures. That may be what you need to do. God has a different thing for each of you, but do something. Because your private area needs truth. You're vulnerable. Someone will kick you. It's painful what can go on if you're not armored. The next thing in verse 16, it says there's flaming arrows being shot at you. So just take it from me. Every day you're going to be shot at. It says, Isaiah 54, 17. Weapons are being formed against me. Every day they're formed against me. Every day someone wants to kill me. Every day somebody thinks about killing me. But it says they may be formed against me, but they're not going to prosper. So this is that part. 
you're always being shot at. But notice what it says. You'll extinguish most of them. Is that what the Bible says? Verse 16. Most of the time, everything the devil shoots at you, you'll extinguish. What does it tell you? What's the word? It's that word. A-L-L. All. It didn't say that you'll extinguish flaming arrows. It says all. That word all, I would circle it. I'd put stars. I'd put arrows. The fact that you even have a chance to extinguish all. Otherwise, we might say, well, I'll take every other arrow. Or, well, if you say, occasionally I get an arrow in me. It, it, one, one hits its target. Now, this tells you all. All. This is an extinguish all gospel. This is an armoring up where you can get them all off of you. That's Satan's missiles. Are, and on top of it, have you seen the movie Robin Hood? These arrows being shot at you. Remember when they'll shoot them all at once? You know, a whole, they're on fire. Flaming missiles. Those are the worst kind. The flaming ones. It tells you you can extinguish all. Get your faith up. It's an all kind of gospel. And then your feet armor. Preparation of the gospel of peace. Put on your preaching shoes. It says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There was this guy in prison. He was from Africa. And I'd always grab him by his big toes. Razu, you've got beautiful feet. Oh, miss, my, my feet, they're ugly. I said, you got beautiful feet. You're going to preach the gospel. And every week, I would say that a year later, they were calling him beautiful feet. That was his name. <laughs> You're being fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I like that. Your feet fitted with readiness. Readiness is such a powerful word. Preparation's good, but readiness. All the armor, but the shoes. You know, the other day I taught at a ladies group. This is a defensive thing about the shoe armor. I was teaching at a group of ladies in Santa Ana. And I ran out to talk to Erica. She keeps making it in this Bible study. And I was standing on the curb and the curb was a little hot. And I was doing a little bit of a dance because it was evening. And I was standing there talking to her. But then I decided to step back into the grass. That was a painful decision. It was full of stickers. You would think that with this beautiful of a house, she would have good grass. But it looked good, but it is not. It was, it was a dangerous yard. And then, after I stepped back with one bare foot, I stepped back on the other. And Erica goes, you're okay? And I was thinking, I don't even know where to tell her I got all of them. I mean, it's not just one in each foot. You know that feeling, and you can't go, you can't go either way. You're just stuck. That's what your shoes are for. And I was thinking about it. That's a defensive thing for your shoes. But in Psalm 91, it says, angels give, of all things, I would think my angel, my guardian angel, would give me head protection. Like, I think it would say, Angie, these angels will bear you up in their wings, lest your head should strike itself against a stone. But no, what does it say? My feet. Feet protection. They keep me in all my ways. They shall bear me up in their hands, lest I dash my foot against a stone. Do you know, anytime I stumble on a hanger or anything, I go, oh, I need to put my armor on. My angels take, keep my feet from even stumbling. They protect my way. They lift me up. And if my feet are protected, everything else stays good. When I'm on a plane, Lord, give me feet protection. Don't let this thing go down. <laughs> We're flying through a lightning storm. Feet covering. Playing offense. How can your shoes be offense? Well, Steph told me how it is. She said, remember when you said you don't look for a place in the world to go? but you take peace into it. That reminds me of our night in Hooker Hotel. (laughs) 
Now, y'all, we didn't stay there on purpose. We got in Hooker Hotel by accident. That's another whole story we could tell you. And we didn't get paid either. I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting a guy that was in charge of the hookers to give me a room key. I'm like, Lord, you promised me an exciting life. And I reached over and touched the guy, and I thought, I think I feel peace on him. But it, it was one of those nights. It's bad enough to be in Hooker Hotel in Dallas with the drugs going down. This wasn't but about a month or so ago. But we end up in Hooker Hotel, and the Lord comps us a free room. It just wasn't the way I thought he would do it. At 2 or 3 in the morning, Jeff goes, I can't sleep till you get that the Lord told us to be here. And I got up and I started praying. And finally, out of my mouth, because I thought, how about the guy comes to his room? And so I'm praying and praying and praying, and finally out of my mouth comes, Lord, you didn't call me to go into places in this world that have peace. You told me to take peace in where I'm going. And that means room two, what was there? 203 in Hooker Hotel. I'm bringing peace into this drug-infested place. Y'all, God has fun things for you. The angels will just guide you right into Hooker Hotel with a free room. Save 200 and something dollars that night. <laughs> He's Jewish. Okay, boots on the ground. You bring peace in. This is not what your mama teaches you. Right now, she doesn't want you in this Bible stay here in what I'm telling you. Because I'm telling you, God didn't call you to go everywhere there's peace. That guy told me today, I'm not taking kids where it's dangerous. I was like, that one, how my dad looked at it. <laughs> I've had mamas cursing my name for where I've taken their sons. But we have a lot of fun. Peace. You've got to believe this. I can't take you with me till you do this. So verse 16, shield of faith. What is faith? How do you use faith in a battle? Romans 10, 17. Do you need a little bit more faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Hey, your Bible app will play audio. Go to sleep. For months I've been listening to Psalm 35. I go to sleep listening to Psalm 35. Psalm 35. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. It doesn't mean whispering the Word of God. It means saying it out loud where your ears hear it. Listen to this. Reading the Word of God thickens your shield. Picture a man with a sword in the battle but no shield. That's a man that doesn't have faith. Faith comes by hearing. And the shield is encircling. In Psalm 91, it's a special word for shield. My mom wrote the book, Psalm 91, they use in the military. That's why I keep referring to it. But we found out from the rabbis, I'm not talking about some dictionary here, but this word here, so kerah, it's something so special that they name it the dumbest words in English, so you have no idea. Oh, I have a bulwark. My bulwark. What is a bulwark? You know, we just skip over that verse. I'm covered with a bulwark. <laughs> Y'all, the word actually means a shield that goes all the way around you. Doesn't that sound like a space movie? Like <laughs> encircling shield. Y'all, I lightning, a piece of lightning coming out of the sky. We were climbing the mountain, and I literally saw it coming down to my head, and I screamed out the verse, and they said it stopped above my head. The kids all saw it. Like, I could feel it. Like, you can, when you're being struck by lightning, you can feel it coming down. I needed an encircling shield. You know, sometimes the birds poop on my head. I mean, you need this encircling shield, this bulwark. It's stronger. It's encircling. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Y'all, you don't know your Bible? You're going into battle with a toothpick. That's about how many scriptures you really have in your heart. When Jesus fought the devil, he fought it with the Word of God. He showed you how to fight. It's your most offensive weapon. It's your sword. And he says, it is written. 
It is written. It is further written. Be gone. So if you read your Bible only on Sunday morning, you're just fighting with a closed blade. This is a big two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 Can you imagine not just a sword, but a living sword? I love this part of Mom's Bible study. Well, think about this, Mom says. All your physical weapons you use with your hand. And so far it's still, you know, it's making sense. You can't think of one weapon you don't use that are physical with your hand. And so she says, but not with your spiritual weapons. She says, like, if I have a physical weapon, like my kitchen butcher knife. That's where I always crack up laughing. What kind of weapon does Mother use with her kitchen butcher knife? I would say, Dad, beware. I'm like, my mother saw herself a weapon with her kitchen butcher knife. But guess what? Move it up here and your willingness to use the mouth for your sword and the spirit. Revelations 1, 16, Jesus had a sword coming out of his mouth. Your words is your sword. It's you speaking the word of God. The sword is used with the mouth. So what makes you offensive? I'm going to say your boots, your shield, and your willingness to use the word of God. I talked to a dear friend of mine, and she told me there was not one time growing up that anyone in my family ever got a scripture and did battle with it. Christian family. That your family? Never one time did they ever find a scripture and say, we got a problem, I'm going to use a scripture. I'm going to tell you what my dad said. Then make the family you never had. You better be in the family you plan on having that you're using scripture. You take those two-year-old kids and you teach them the sword. Don't be teaching them stranger danger. <laughs> you teach them the word of God. Armoring up. And then the one that most people don't use, the last one, is praying in the Spirit. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people, the saints. Most pastors are not putting their armor on. That scares me. And if they're not doing it, they're not telling their people to. How do I know this? We did a survey in radio and we called them. And they were not praying in the morning before they leave the house. And I'm telling you, that's the only thing I'll give you a flogging for. It's for very selfish reasons. Because <laughs> I have to come dig you out of trouble. So people say, look at this, armoring up. Armoring up is for you. You're doing people a favor to take care of yourself. This may be for me only, but it's important. It's a lot of time if somebody goes down. And if I find out you're going and taking a prayer vacation and not armoring up, it's a problem. Set that clock 10 minutes back and armor up. Get this on you. But what I like about 18 is, it says, but then I can pray for other people. Because I've got my armor on. I might realize, oh, this person ran out the door and didn't pray today. They have a lot on them. This person never takes their armor on, but if they get killed, it's going to cause me a lot of problems. <laughs> Lord bless my brother. <laughs> so, so this is where you can pray for other people <laughs> isn't that beautiful and then it tells you verse 11 having done everything what does it tell you stand having done everything verse 13 stand having done everything verse 14 stand three times it tells you having done everything if you put your armor on and you've done everything stand it's a horrible thing to fall over in your armor, be pushed backwards, having done everything. Think of this. The enemy's coming and you've done everything and he's rushing at you. 
Half of your battle right here is standing. Standing your ground in a very firm way. Stand. Verse 11, verse 13, verse 14. Stand. When you've done everything, you've quoted the Word of God, you've used your faith, you've used your boots to kick the door in, I mean, you brought peace into places nowhere else, then stand firm. At this point, I'm going to tell you, I've given you enough information now to be successful in fighting principalities. Right now, this is built around fighting in the principality realm, which most people think can't be done successfully. I've given you enough information. I'm going to add one more thing for you, Alexis. Your families, they're so happy. You surrender to ministry. There's a call of God on your life. You're going into ministry. Do not forget to put your armor on when you're doing ministry. And this is a perfect example. So many well-intentioned, good, well-meaning Christians that love Jesus, that went to the altar, dedicated their life to the Lord, and surrendered their whole life to God, fell at this one point. They love Jesus, but they don't put their armor on. And that's why they, horrible stories happen on the mission field. Do you know they called me into a locker room here? Because one of the teams, they were not going to be able to play for not enough players. We preached Psalm 91, and, and by the time we finished preaching, they were able to play their game. And I told them, what are you thinking? The only thing I did to them was take Mother's team book on Psalm 91 and hit them all in the heads. Other than that little abusive thing, we preached till the guys realized, put your armor on. I had a friend at Hard Pain, and he put his armor on. Never got hurt playing football his whole life. But he was putting that Psalm 91 on with his family. But if you're going to do it in sports, even more so in ministry. So this sounds like a foreign country. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched were carried to the sick and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of the person. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Because they're looking at him and this guy can touch an apron or a handkerchief and a demon leaves. So I adjure you. Seven sons of one Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? They should have used the name of Jesus right there. It's stronger. And it says, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on him and mastered all of them, seven of them, and overpowered them. Are you getting it? One man jumped on seven. This is better than Batman. <laughs> and so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That is a bad deliverance. <laughs> I mean, I forgot to tell you on that porch, that, that which I almost called her name but now she's sanctified. But she tore my best shirt. She ripped it. And then the next thing I know, she grabbed my pants. <laughs> and I felt my pants go down here with my boys, and I knew they'd be standing over my funeral one day when I was ancient going, remember the day Angie lost her pants in the deliverance? I mean, they're not going to say one kind thing. They're going to talk about my pants being down to here. So I grabbed my pants and get them back up again. I was like, you can't wear these pants. They cause you problems. My gosh, my dignity. I didn't care that she had a knife and that she grabbed me by the throat next and was going to do that. But I almost know what this felt like. That I almost lost my clothes. Because I went, you know, that I was using the name of Jesus. This witchcraft stuff's kind of a problem. And that's when the power of God came on her and she got free. Because I got serious about it. I was losing my, my wardrobe <laughs> publicly. <laughs> my dignity, my vanity. <laughs> got you serious. 
But the power of God came on her and she got free. But it didn't go so good for these seven naked guys. And it says, And this came known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. You know everybody was laughing. There's nobody that's nice to you about this. And it says, Fear fell on them all. And the name of Jesus Christ was extolled. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So this is the point of the story. Pat, you get the best point. You come in and you armor up. And this is a picture of you in the morning if you put your armor on. Right here. There you go. And if you want my armor guy, I'll give him to you. And you can write the pieces on there. You can blow him up, make him life-size, put him in your room. But if you run out in a hurry and you don't get your armor on, this is what you look like. <laughs> that's called you're saved and that's it you're in your tidy buddies <laughs> and that's what Christian men look like that run out and don't do what this Bible study talked about so I want you to picture yourself you have some vulnerable areas I do not want you being the seven sons of Sceva being in ministry and looking like that amen 